Welcome back to The Pilgrim Soul, a podcast about the journey of faith in the world of today. I'm your host, Juliana. I'm Sophia. And I'm Adriana. And we're thrilled to be bringing you an episode on the cross and the daily experience of carrying your cross. Yeah, this has been, I mean, such a salient episode for us because always in our text thread, we're talking about our own experiences of the cross. And yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't think of us as a melancholic group, but <laughs> we're definitely aware of the crosses in our life. And I've been, I think I've talked about this on the podcast, journeying through the Bible in the year with Father Mike Schmitz. My husband and I have been doing that. And I think there's just a couple scriptures that just really started like standing out to me. And I really felt like God drawing me in to pay more attention. Mm. Like Luke 9, 23, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily. That's just like a seminal scripture for the podcast. But then also like St. Paul and this recognition that so he wouldn't become arrogant, a thorn in the flesh was given to him Mm. for the rest of his life. And he says again, so that I would not become arrogant. And his recognition that, like, this cross is a gift in his experience and not only just, like, kind of this idea that it's for the possibility of union with Christ and for the possibility of uniting yourself to the cross of Christ, but experiencing that. Um, So I really was, like, drawn to really integrate this more in my own experience and reality than I think I had previously been doing. So it's been really rich for me to prepare for this episode. I'm excited to talk about it. For me too, the preparation has been a gift. So I was initially a little resistant because massively intimidated by the magnitude of this task, but I'm really glad that you proposed it. And I'm looking forward to seeing what the Holy Spirit has prepared for us in this conversation with each other to learning from you in this. Yeah, I think a helpful starting place because I think it's uniquely Catholic in a way to be so attached to the cross. Hmm. I don't see this as much with our Protestant brothers and sisters They don't typically even have the crucifix in their churches. Right. We very obviously do. The cross and specifically the crucifix for us is essential to the movement of the resurrection. Yeah. And I think to your point about this being specifically Catholic, I think a misunderstanding of this has given rise to the Catholic trope of a constantly guilty conscience Mm -hmm. and constantly chasing after suffering. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. As if the point of carrying your cross were the cross (laughs) and not Christ, not the divine bridegroom who's inviting you to intimacy with himself Mm -hmm. through the experience of the cross. And I think one of the things that was made abundantly clear to me in preparing for this episode was that I cannot carry the cross if I approach it as a moral precept or a rule or something that I need to do to be a good person, because immediately it becomes repulsive and as heavy as if it was made out of lead. Mm -hmm. Instead, what needs to move my freedom to embrace the cross can only be the presence of Christ, the recognition of the exceptional presence of this man who is greater than anything I have ever encountered in my life. And so it would be doing violence to myself to not follow him, even when it comes at the price of suffering, um, of pain, of challenge, of embracing a measure on my life that is not my own. Yeah, so I think this 
this dynamic is easily misinterpreted when observed from the outside because it can look like an embrace of suffering for suffering's sake. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that's that's inhuman. You have something wrong with you if you're doing that. Rather, it's you found the pearl of great price and so you'll do anything in order to purchase that field. That's mixing parables, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, I empathize with the culture because I think of like St. Paul saying like, I boast in nothing except for the cross of Christ Jesus. And how unnatural that is to say like about myself, like I boast in nothing except like my greatest seeming failure. And if it's just the cross, then yes, I we just went on retreat with Abbot Jeremy, one of our dear friends, and he said something that really struck me that if it's just the cross, we could never bear to look at it. That's so inhumane. But because of the resurrection, we must look at it. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's what people, I think, are understandably not realizing that we recognize what a scandal it is to say. And perhaps this has been like very anesthetized through the thousands of years and we all wear cross necklaces and don't think about like what a sign of torture this was. Yeah. But we recognize like what we're saying. I mean, some days I do. Most days I live in the lack of awareness of it. But yes, in principle, it's there. St. Paul recognized what he was saying when he said he did. He boasted in nothing but the cross of Christ Jesus. I think another reason this is essential, the reason we're not embracing suffering for suffering's sake is that suffering is an essential condition of being human. We are all going to, every single person on this earth, whether or not they see suffering as a a path to being conformed to Christ, will experience that. Mm -hmm. And so this is really a proposal. I, I cannot think of another place in society where we receive an answer to this problem of living and a way that it can be transformed into something meaningful and beautiful and even a source of hope. There is nothing else that can offer us that. And I think in my darkest moments, before anything else, it was curiosity that drew me into seeking to learn about what the cross means and how to carry my cross well, because this proposal is radical and can it really be true? And I wanted to know that because, you know, I think as you grow older, it becomes very clear and the people you love grow older, it becomes very clear that this is an inescapable part of life. Not only are we not choosing suffering for suffering's sake, but we're just accepting the reality mm-hmm. in front of us yeah. and looking it straight in the face and saying like, what is there in this for us? Yeah, absolutely. I think you hit the nail on the head and it reminds me of one of my first experiences of an invitation to relationship, a personal relationship with Christ that I had in high school. As our longtime listeners will know, I had a bit of a turbulent experience in adolescence and uh, experienced a lot of darkness. And it was my senior year of high school that for a class, we read The Imitation of Christ. And I read this line that jarred me when I first came across it, which was, he says something like, if you would suffer no adversity, how can you be the friend of Christ? And until that moment, I had been so full of awareness of the kind of public spectacle of my darkness and of my sin and my mistakes, which was, yeah, to put it lightly, very evident to everyone around me. And until that moment had always looked at it with shame and with a sense that this was wasted time, that if I could go back and do something differently and avoid all of this, I would do Mm -hmm. anything to do that. And given that I couldn't, my attitude was, I'm going to pretend that none of that happened. 
And when I read this line, I was like, what? That the terrible darkness that I had experienced could be an invitation to relationship with God? It was the first time this proposal entered my horizon, and it startled me and baffled me so much that my suffering could be a sign that he wanted to be my friend. And I think back on that with so much wonder because now, I mean, again, I don't always live (laughs) awareness in my day-to-day life of this reality, but I fully embrace now the fact that this is given to me in the context of not just a friendship, but a nuptial bond with Christ. And so the adversity that I experienced in high school and the small daily crosses that I experienced today are a sign of his thirst for me mm-hmm. and how much that changes my gaze on my dissatisfaction and my moments of humiliation and discouragement. I mean, this is the human relevance of the faith. I'm completely different in the way that I look at my life. Exactly as you were both saying, this is a freedom and a unity of life and a possibility to not be scandalized by anything that everyone in our society is thirsting for, but that can only come through experiencing relationship with this exceptional man. Yeah, that's really beautiful, Sophia, and resonates so much with my experience. One, just like in my deepest suffering, the isolation that I experienced and also just a real deep self-loathing for that, what I perceived as failure, to have that transformed by Christ's gaze on the cross and to be able to see in that gaze a deep love for my person in that darkness, um, I mean, changed everything in my life. Yeah. No one had ever looked at me that way before, you know, like the way Christ looked at me. And of course, that happens through other people. But when that event occurred for me, it transformed everything because, I mean, Augustine quotes over and over again, St. Paul saying, "Um, your power is perfected in my weakness. And by any worldly measure, that's just a ridiculous thing to say. Yeah. It is the rational response to like shirk our weaknesses, to avoid looking at them, to avoid suffering as much as possible. So that we might find like our actual meaning and the most humanity that we can experience or the most like self love mm-hmm. through our own weakness. Yeah, through picking up our cross, which to me, this is a question that I have for both of you that if it's true, if we verified in our life, now through these years of trying to follow after Christ after this initial encounter that renunciation mortification the daily cross whatever you want to call it that this Adriana as you're saying just now is not for the deadening of my life but for me to become more truly alive more human more myself well how does this unfold in your life like when the when the rubber hits the road and you're faced with some form of daily cross, how is it that you really perceive this as an invitation to participate in his redeeming act? And what helps you take that step? Because it doesn't become automatic. Like no matter how many times since our first encounter we've experienced this dynamic, at least for me, it's it's never automatic. My instinct is always still to flee the cross. Mm-hmm. One thing that helps me in this, because you're right, Sophia, I need to be reminded every single day, but it helps me by establishing a criterion that's separated from my emotions to just 
know that my criteria is death to myself. And that's how I judge the path forward for me. That's how I judge the decisions that are before me every single day. Not my emotions, not uh, what my pride wants me to do, but death to myself. And so this can help me in the smallest ways and in the biggest ways. So like the dishwasher needs to be emptied. I really don't want to do it. I did it last time. Okay. Those aren't my criteria. My criteria is death to myself. And is this, mm. is this a response to the invitation of Christ to give of myself just as he gave of himself on the cross? Right. And that's the most trivial example. Like, okay, just a small chore around the house, but but it helps me in those little acts of death to be able to offer all of my life. And I'm someone especially who needs to be trained in this, right? So I can train myself in these little ways by saying yes, yes, yes. And then verifying that that makes me free, like that frees me of these other things that I would otherwise be following. That's not a complete answer, but that's one um, one thing that came to mind as you were speaking. Yeah. Yeah, I think when you asked that question, it made me think of a great temptation I always face before the daily cross. And it's to see the crosses that are presented before me in my reality as actually obstacles in this false, I think, pride and desire for control. As if I didn't have those crosses, I'd be able to take on a bigger cross and advance towards holiness that way. Hmm. Especially like... In my 20s, when I would dream unrealistically about being like a martyr for God or something, especially when I was in a phase of reading about the martyrs and like St. Perpetua and Felicity and think like, oh, man, I wish like I had the circumstances in my life to do that wow. and not see that like, oh, I have the circumstances in my life and I avoid them. Yeah. I don't I don't see those as the circumstances. I think that's very common experience. <laughs> like Carol Hauslander saying like the old lady with rheumatism wanting to be a martyr, but not realizing that she needs to offer her rheumatism to the lady. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I am that lady every day. Um. Even now, I do that in really small ways about, like, the daily cross I'm given that seems so ordinary to me, like what you're saying, Juliana, about doing the chores in the house or just paying attention to my children for hours and, like, accomplishing no tasks. Mm. That can, at times, I can experience that as a cross yeah, being somewhat task-driven. And... To see and live the reality of like, this is what Christ is asking of me in the moment is hard to endure. Like I'm struck again and again by the awareness that like, it's actually hard for me to live in reality. I much rather live in my imagined controlled universe. Yeah. What I'm hearing in both of you, thank you, this is really helpful, is putting flesh and bones on Adriana, you cited Luke 9, I believe, um, about denying ourselves as a condition for following after Christ. And it's putting flesh and bones for me on what it means to deny yourself. Because it's not denying the truth of your eye, because the truth of your eye is relationship with the mystery. Mm -hmm. Rather, what it's denying is denying what's fallen in us, hating what's fallen in me, which is, uh, Giuseppe calls it fascination with nothingness. But it's my, it's my vanity. It's my pride. It's my self-indulgence or even just like my own measure, Adriana, as you're saying, my own projects for my self-perfection or the perfection of the world or whatever it is. 
denial of these things, but precisely so that you can affirm what's most important. And the example that comes to mind here, like or the image for thinking about this dynamic of denial in order to affirm is from St. Paul, where he's talking about, you can do all things for the glory of God, even eating and drinking. And so fasting, for example, denial of food is not saying the body's bad or food is bad or depriving yourself of the necessary means to live. Um, Because again, that would be choosing suffering for its own sake, which is disordered. But rather, it's an act of affirming that what's important about food is not like the molecules attaching to the sensory receptors on your tongue or the feeling of pleasure or even the nourishment that it gives you. But the fact that food is a tool for following after Christ, this is what's most important. And so in this act of self-denial of my instinct or my obsession with appearances, I'm given the opportunity to affirm him that he is the meaning of this. And so to receive these things again, as if for the first time, properly as a gift from him. Um, and so I think, yeah, as I'm thinking about my my daily experience of the cross and my temptation, especially to like white knuckle sacrifices and kind of force my way through on my own, mm-hmm. not looking at him, just trying to carry it by myself. I think voluntary sacrifices are really important because it's even more nonsensical to like voluntarily choose to fast or to take on some kind of act of asceticism and not do it in relationship with him. It's always nonsensical. But when it's voluntary and you're choosing to take it on yourself, like it's Mm -hmm. more apparent to me. And so that's an important space, I think, for me in education that like, Sophie, why are you trying to do this without the one take my yoke upon you. Like these two oxen are supposed to be together in the yoke. And if you try to put yourself in the yoke without him, that's not going to go anywhere. Mm-hmm. But I I forget that literally every day. So yeah. Yeah. That makes me think of what I've found to be so helpful, especially like in really preparing for this episode and trying to become more deeply aware of my reality. Like as Father Giussani just invites us of like using our reason well, being aware of reality and all of its conditions. And the realization that I want to shirk the crosses that are before me has been a real opportunity for humility. Mm -hmm. And in that humility, I encounter Christ. Mm. His power is made perfect in weakness. It's in my willingness to let go of these false ideals of my own self-perfection that I recognize my weakness more acutely And it's not for the weakness itself, but it's like a meeting point for Christ to come in and fill me with his grace. Yeah, there's there's this second aspect of Christ's ask of us to pick up our cross and follow him. And that is that he promises, Sophia, as you were saying, to carry the yoke with us, Mm -hmm. to help us and to, to lighten the burden and to make it sweet. And... I think if for me in the last couple years, especially, this is something that has been confirmed, uh, the sweetness of the cross. There have been periods of the last few years that have been very difficult as we hoped to conceive a child. And then as I was working in this demanding job during the last months of my pregnancy, and then as I welcomed a child, as we welcomed a child, and I, uh, I continued feeling called to remain in that position, there were times that were very difficult. I longed to be with my child more, but I also received joy and life um, and meaning in my work. And there was this like 
dual um, aspect of what God was asking me to sacrifice to him. And, you know, and also there were the physical difficulties of not sleeping very much while I was trying to do this and having very little support, except for, of course, when (laughs) Sophia was living with us. Mm -hmm. But anyway, like there were so many days where all I could do was wake up and beg for God to answer my needs. Yeah. Just waking up and begging and this total posture of receiving. And two things for me were born from that posture. And the first was, Adriana, as you were saying, humility, just realizing my limitations and realizing in my limits, like the harsh gaze that I'd often directed towards other people and how, you know, I'm no better, I'm worse than all of them. The second was, though, this new gaze on my life and this new trust that Christ would help me carry my cross. Yeah. A new gaze on my on my day that became a question, like, how are you going to help me carry this today? Like, how will you meet my need today? And in looking for an answer, I would find an answer that I might have otherwise missed. And I saw, you know, how this experience was making me more patient and more loving and more kind and more aware of the gift of every day. And and really how walking this this experience of the cross and asking Christ to carry it for me made me more like him. Like it was really conforming me to him. And what better verification is there of the truth of this path? That's beautiful and very much accords with what I saw during the time that I was living with you and and just in relationship with you in these months. And it's been so beautiful and such a help on my own path to see. And yeah, I can't help but think of my, my PhD, which is you know, a friend this morning, Father Chase just described his own PhD as giving birth. And, you know, I think there there are parallels. Um, Another fruit that I saw in you that I'm hoping I receive through my own sacrifice of, of the PhD as well is a new passion for reality and for everyone in it. I think I see signs of this in my own life too, in the sacrifice of for listeners who don't know, I find my PhD uh, to be, let's just say that though I started my PhD with great hope for how this might be useful for me and for children who are experiencing abuse and neglect and for the field of science. And really what I've come to terms with over these last years is that the state of the research and the state of my research <laughs> means that really this is this is not serving that purpose. It's become a sacrifice of obedience done in relationship with the one who has asked me. And the feeling of the futility of the sacrifice has made it so that some days when I get up and I think about doing my PhD work, like I want to lie on the floor and cry. And some days I do. But what it's called forth from, this is why the cross has been a gift. Like, because I can't just go into work and just do my work and phone it in because the pain is so intense that I'm giving my life to something I don't see bearing fruit. And instead, the only thing that enables me to live, that enables me to go to my work with gladness, is offering, exactly as you said, Julie, with this question of how are you with me in this and what is it that you desire from this? Mm-hmm. Because I, like, long to leave this life every day to like go and just cry out to everyone that that Christ is the reason for everything and that he's present and that he loves them and instead I'm sitting down at this desk and giving myself to 12 hours of coding and analysis of this brain image and if I don't offer I suffocate but precisely through this dynamic of embracing a measure that is not mine I've discovered that 
when I say yes, the whole universe can be inside of me at this tiny desk in my tiny room in Cambridge. By uniting my suffering and my sense of futility to the futile sacrifice that Christ made on the cross, like his temptation in the Garden of Gethsemane to frustration and disappointment, I can perceive that I'm participating in his act of redemption. And all of a sudden, I'm free. I'm free in this. So much so that I reach the end of my day, like, with gladness and happiness to go back to our episode on joy like with happiness too Mm -hmm. and i want this to color my my gaze on everything and so i'm really grateful to be given this intense experience julie like you and adriana too like you guys have had with motherhood this intense experience of the cross um in a focal and sustained manner that i can't run away from Because it's showing me that actually when it comes to these other things, whether it's hunger or cold or chronic illness that I deal with, in these other places, actually what I want isn't freedom from the cross. It's to be with Christ. That's what my desire is for. And that's where my gladness is going to come from. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if that's clear, but the PhD has been such a beautiful gift, but not at all for the reasons that I thought it was going to be. Yeah, that's really beautiful, Sophia, especially like I appreciate just the intensity of that experience. My own example, it doesn't strike me with that same intensity. And I think that's true in, in experiences of some of our crosses too. Like Christ says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I think a really, like what you were saying, Julie, about the sweetness of the cross, I think a really clear way that's very salient before me in which I experience, truly experience almost entirely the sweetness of the cross is in NFP, Mm. which is natural family planning that my husband and I do. And for just like really quickly for non-Catholic listeners, it's a form of discipleship that we're invited to with our sexuality and marriage, really just like a total and free giving of our sexuality to God in a total openness and in accordance with his plans. And that does involve responsible family planning. Could do a whole other episode on it. But it also involves chastity, at times abstinence, and at times like an obedience to our circumstances or Mm -hmm. like an experience of the cross. But what has been really illuminating for me, because I think I've shared a little bit, maybe not in detail, of like the – very dysfunctional history of my sexuality. And and my sexuality was like a real place where Christ met me in a source of conversion, experiencing like emptiness in the hookup culture in college. And now in marriage to be practicing NFP with my husband and seeing chastity in these times of abstinence as a source of unity between us. And then also like what it means for the total openness of our sexuality to God as a real encounter with the spousal mystery of Christ, of him inviting both my husband and me to be like he's the eternal bridegroom Mm. and really having like that experience of the sacrament of marriage that wouldn't be possible for me. Like if I'm honest about my experience, it would not be possible without NFP. And yet that is at times a cross. It does involve obedience to something that is like outside of my natural desire. But to have seen and verified in my own experience that this brings about an impossible unity and like an impossible satisfaction Mm. of my truest desires Mm -hmm. and my the truest longings makes it possible for me to see these other spaces where the cross is very difficult in my life 
that that might too occur if I can just give myself totally to this and trust and like abandon my own obstacles. And ask for your total fulfillment from him in that too. Yeah. I appreciate also how clearly you drew the connection to the invitation to each of us to a spousal relationship with Christ. And to me, this is such an important aspect of my experience of the cross and my experience of saying yes to the cross. And it's something I think about most mornings at Mass, at the consecration, that this is the consummation of the relationship of Christ to the church and of Christ to my soul. Like he says, it is finished on the cross. Like he gives me in this moment his body in order to carry out the most intimate form of union that one can possibly have, more intimate than a husband and a wife. Mm-hmm. And each time I'm at Mass, I'm watching the representation of this sacrifice. I'm participating in that. And each time I'm given the grace to receive Holy Communion, that union is carried out in my flesh again. And I pray before leaving Mass, like, Lord, don't let me leave you. Like, I'm leaving this place that's dedicated to you. I'm leaving the place of our union, but don't let me leave you. Because I do. I betray him. You know, I leave Mass and with those very same lips, like... I lie and I curse and I complain and I um, having that experience again each morning of the fact that even when I betray him, he remains faithful to me and he still pursues me with this spousal love is what enables me to walk because I see that he has mercy and that his preference for me is something that makes me grow over time into someone who like we read in Revelation, like the bride has prepared herself. She's made herself ready to receive him. And that this is the task of my life is to use my freedom in cooperation with his grace to make myself ready so that at the point of my death, truly this relationship can be consummated. Yeah. So when I am living in the memory of this, nothing can frighten me. You know, no sacrifice can frighten me. But when I'm not, even the smallest things seem something that are inhuman. They seem something that's against my fulfillment. Yeah, so for me, Mass is so important precisely because it builds in me the memory of the presence of this bridegroom in my life. That's really that's really powerful, Sophie. It reminds me of something that I read from St. Francis de Sales. I think the quote is, Mount Calvary is the Mount of Lovers. Mm. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that's where that's where we meet Christ, the bridegroom of each of our souls and of the world and of the church. And, and that's where we become espoused to him. That's where we say our yes back on the Mount of Calvary. And to go back to what you said, Adriana, at the very beginning, I mean, if we worship only the resurrected Christ, how much are we missing? We're missing this place of matrimony. We worship Christ crucified and then resurrected. I love that line because it makes me think of Mary, um, because who do we find on Mount Calvary? Yes. But Mary and and John, (laughs) not because she was super strong and courageous and invulnerable to suffering, but because she loved Jesus and she wanted to stay with him. She didn't want to leave him alone in this sacrifice. Yeah, and that for me is so important because through her and through her yes to the Lord and through her maternity to the church, I am not alone in any of my suffering or any of my Mm -hmm. sacrifice. All of this, and this is, again, so clear to me at Mass, 
I carry this in the context of a companionship of people, the body of Christ that is continuing to carry out his redemptive work together, completing in our flesh what's lacking in the afflictions of Christ together. Um, and so this is where often when I see like, where do I see the resurrection in remaining at the foot of the cross? It's in this, I'm not alone. And there's so many people, we've talked on the podcast before about the crisis of loneliness that is afflicting our society. But I am not alone in my suffering. I am surrounded by friends who inspire me and console me and comfort me and discipline me. And without them, I wouldn't carry any of these crosses. I would have quit the PhD. I would be, I'd be a disaster. Yeah, so thank you for that connection. Can I, that actually brings up a question that I had for both of you thinking about this topic. Um, I was reflecting on the Stations of the Cross and specifically when Christ allows Simon of Cyrene to help him carry his cross, which if you think about it is startling, right? The mm -hmm. savior of the world is inviting Simon to participate in this act of redemption. And I think too is like, it reflects the invitation to all of us that we've been talking about. Mm -hmm. But but it also is an invitation to have that gaze towards each other, to offer others to help us mm -hmm. carry the cross and then to be St. Simon to other people. And so what has been your experience of this and, and how have others helped you carry the cross? Like, what are the concrete ways that we can be Simon to each other? Yeah, I probably because we're talking about right now, but marriage comes up as the most obvious answer to that question in my experience. And to see my own marriage as, you know, the sacrament of marriage, I truly believe like Christ makes himself present in my husband to me and in inviting me to the eternal bridegroom. Mm. I think that there's also something preeminent in the woman. I'd be curious your thoughts on this, but part of like the feminine genius to better perhaps emphasize or understand like innately what it means to be bride. Um, and I think Brian really makes it obvious of how like the gentleness and the gaze of love upon weakness, like in my own crosses and helping me carry them. And then also at times, I'm sure there's so many ways I'm not aware of this, but like where he'll remove an obstacle from my path, like St. Therese of Lisieux says, before I've ever even seen it. The things that he does that go completely unnoticed by me, but are loving acts. I mean, I have like very little idea of what he does during the day at work, you know, but like it's such a sacrifice for the family. And he sees his work and talks about it so much as like, if it's not for the sake of my family, and if it ever becomes for the sake of myself, then I'm, I know it's disordered. Mm. I also was thinking of a quote Sophia shared with us from Blessed Basil Moreau of Mary at the foot of the cross and how he says, like, truly she fulfills her part in the work of Christ to fill up in her own flesh those things that are lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body, which is the church. And there's that question of, like, how is it possible that there's anything lacking in Christ except that he invites us? It's an invitation to participation with him that Simon is given, that we're given now, and that invitation is to like a nuptial mystery. He doesn't need us, and yet he allows himself to need us. And he's made that an existential condition for our relationship. And I think that is, in marriage, like it's so salient, codependency. I need Brian to make manifest to me 
Christ in my everyday life. Like I need the mass too, but I also need my marriage. Mm-hmm. And Christ has made that a condition of my discipleship through my yes to the sacrament of marriage. I definitely see that unfolding in your lives in marriage, and it's really beautiful. I think in my life what comes to mind is, well, first, uh, something that I found kind of uncomfortable when it first started happening, but early on in college, I made these friends like Jess and other people who, when I would say something was happening in my life that I found to be a cross and negative, difficult they wouldn't say they were sorry for me. <laughs> and not in a scrupulous way, like they were scared of complaining about it, yeah. but just with the certainty of the ultimate positivity of reality. And so they weren't going to complain or bemoan something, but actually look at it with curiosity and say, oh, I wonder how the mystery is working through this, mm. like genuinely. And that was so provocative for me because again, like as I mentioned before, this was not how I looked at the sufferings in my life. But how were they able to do this? Again, <laughs> It's not like a moral norm that they're following or just a rule that they've decided upon, but because they verified in their flesh that Christ desires their fulfillment and that he invites them to this even through things that they would never choose for themselves. Yeah, I think of, for example, like that line in Luke where Jesus talks about, you got to hate your family if you want to come after me. These friends of mine have verified in their lives that Christ is someone who who is so much the fulfillment of their heart. He proposes himself so completely to their heart that not even familial bonds can hold a candle to that love. Yeah, and I see this in, I was just reading a testimony the other day of a woman who I think my family knows, but she's a member of CL in Gavirate um, in Italy and has had ALS, which is a neurodegenerative disease, for those of you who don't know, for I think about eight years. And she was just uh, newlywed when she was diagnosed, and they had been hoping to conceive, and instead she received this diagnosis of ALS. And over the course of these eight years, what she has discovered was for her in this illness is so great that come the eight-year anniversary of her diagnosis, she threw a party for her friends to celebrate. Oh, my gosh. And she invited them. She said, come because I want to thank the Lord for these eight years. And when I listened to that, I got chills because how can you say that? It would be inhuman. It would be mental illness to say that if you actually hadn't verified in your flesh that the Lord is inviting you to intimacy with himself that completely fulfills your person through this experience of the cross. Mm -hmm. She had done the work, you know, and this is a woman who can no longer speak. She can no longer get out of her wheelchair. And yet the gladness that pervades her gaze is something that I want for myself. And so these friends of mine don't help me by telling me what to do with my life. And they don't help me by carrying my cross for me. They don't help me by doing my PhD for me. But they help me by living the relationship that they have with the mystery so faithfully each day in the circumstances that are given to them that from them comes this testimony that I want that. I want this so much that I'm going to go back to my circumstances with a different gaze, with the intention to carry this cross in union with Christ, with the desire to be, as Giussani said in a letter right after he was ordained a priest, that Giussani wanted to be a friend of Christ so completely that he would suffer like no difference between them, that he wanted to be kneaded into Christ on the cross, like united to him on the cross. And yeah, this desire that comes to me is just because I see the saints, the saints in heaven and and the saints who are my friends, living a life that's so attractive 
and so fulfilled and so different from anything I see elsewhere. Mm-hmm. That's the path to it. Thank you. That's really helpful. Yeah, that's so beautiful, Sophia. I almost think we could have like a part two of this episode. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I mean, there were so many other things I wanted to even touch on of just one last final thing I, I did want to say was there is a temptation in our generation to take on crosses that aren't given to us. Mm-hmm. And in that, there's a temptation to think that the cross that Christ is calling us to is the hardest thing in our life or is contrary to our desires. I do that. I definitely do that. (laughs) That's so false. (laughs) Yes. But it's such an instinct. You're so right. Yeah. And if we understand the cross as the invitation to matrimony, there is no reason that we should think it is anything different than the deepest desires of our heart. Yeah. And of course, our desires are disordered or tended towards disorder and need transformation. So you can be like safeguarded that Christ isn't calling you to sin. But we you know we've said through this episode, I experience these great desires of my heart, and those are also the cross. And it's not like the space outside where, oh, I don't want that at all. So Christ must be calling me to it because it seems like the harder thing for me to do. Like, I think really vocationally of like, oh, maybe I'm called to religious life because I have this like deep desire for marriage, but the harder thing would be to be a nun or something like. (laughs) You'd make a terrible nun if that were the case. (laughs) Especially with that mindset. Right, that's what I mean. (laughs) Here, all you need to do is look at Our Lady because what does she say? Let it be done unto me according to your word. Yeah. The Lord is the one who chooses the form that the cross takes in our life. And the way that he leads us to it is by proposing himself to our freedom as the fulfillment of our desires. And then the life grows. Like the angel left her and all of these sacrifices followed. But it came as a proposal. What does she say in her Magnificat? But that she magnifies the Lord and that he has done great things for her. Mm -hmm. This is what we are to follow. And that's the path that led her to stand at the foot of the cross. So I think that's... That's so important, Adriana, and I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned it. Yeah. Yeah, I love Mary as an archetype of that. Well, on that note, I think we should conclude. Wrap it up. I would like to share a media recommendation that I have been dying to share, actually, since we started the podcast, um, which is one of my favorite novels of all time, The End of the Affair by Graham Greene. So good. Um, it's a story, I won't spoil the plot for those of you who haven't read it, but it's a story of precisely this, that the Lord proposes himself to us as the divine bridegroom and that our yes to him uh, takes us through death, death to possession of other people in particular, death to everything in us that is fallen, but to a life that is radiant. So I hi- I highly recommend it. Don't be turned off by the fact that the first like 20 pages are rumination about hate. <laughs> Persevere through that section because it is definitely worth it. It is vocation. So, but do either of you have a monthly challenge to propose to our listeners? Yeah, I would recommend praying the morning offering. It's a traditional Catholic prayer, and it really is an offering that you typically do before your day starts of everything that will come to Christ um, for the intentions of his sacred heart, for the church, for the Holy Father, for your family, and in reparation for your own sins. And I found it a really 
powerful way to kind of flip my gaze on my day and to be able to see what is it, what is in my cross for me. Yeah. If you live with other people, I would also recommend um, inviting someone into this practice on a particular morning uh, because I found it a way to unite your sufferings and the sufferings of somebody that you love together to Christ. And, and so I invite you to give it a try. Thank you. The morning offering has been really transformative for me too. Even just in learning to say throughout the day when I come against these daily crosses, like, I offer you this, I offer you this, I offer you this. And sometimes I don't feel like I don't feel Mm -hmm. it, but I offer you this, I offer you this. So, yeah. Okay, well, thanks everyone so much for joining us. Please share this episode with a friend. And know of our prayers for you. Please email us and send us episode topics or ideas. Mm. We love hearing from you. It was a joy to be with you today. And I look forward to being with you again next month.